Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. Okay. It is... God! 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 To be the man! You gotta beat the man! The 2-1. Swan Lane drive left hand! Water on his end! This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Well, 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 folks. Hopefully you were in front of a TV or in a sports bar or maybe even in the stadium last week as we just witnessed probably the greatest playoff weekend in the history of the National Football League. Not trying to oversell it, not trying to overhype it, but if you look at the four games that we just witnessed in the divisional round, beginning with Tennessee, Cincinnati, and concluding Sunday night in Arrowhead with the Bills and the Chiefs playoff overtime classic. I don't think there's ever been a weekend that the NFL's had in the playoffs that has been as dramatic and as down to the wire as these four games. Every single game ended on a walk-off play. There was three walk-off field goals and a walk-off touchdown in Kansas City Sunday night that concluded every one of these divisional games. And in Kansas City, you had to have a makeable walk-off field goal in regulation to get the game to overtime by Harrison Butker. And obviously, we had the drama of the of the 13 seconds in Kansas City with McDermott and the Bills. We had the incredible finish in Tampa late with the Bucks coming from the dead to tie the game and then just to get their hearts ripped out by Cooper Cup on the Blitz. Then you had Green Bay, the heartache of Aaron Rodgers and LaFleur in Green Bay, losing at home when not giving up an offensive touchdown, giving up a touchdown on a block punt. And then you had the young man, Joe Burrow and company and the upstart Bengals go to Nashville and beat the Titans behind the leg of McPherson who just with cold-blooded ice in his veins, went boneyard from 50 yards out at the gun to win the game. So what a weekend. What a championship uh, weekend we have in front of us, Kansas City, Cincinnati, and the Rams and the 49ers. And we've got, before we get to that, we're gonna I'm going to break down a couple things about these divisional games, a couple coaching things that I just have no comprehension of and have no idea what these guys are thinking. Um, but bef- after we get through my analysis, you're going to hear from Mike Neighbors. Mike Neighbors is a longtime reporter covering the New Orleans Saints. We're going to talk about the Sean Payton retirement. Saints go Where do the Saints go from here? We're going to talk about NFL divisional stuff. We're going to talk about uh, his writing a book with Drew Brees and such. So great conversation we had with Mike Neighbors talking all things Sean Payton in the retirement in New Orleans. And then we're going to talk to Steve Carney. Steve uh, Carney has uh, the founder of St. Pete 9 doing some work now for Major League Baseball. We're going to talk about the Hall of Fame uh, election process that happened this week. David Ortiz gets in, no Roger Clemens, no Barry Bonds. 
We're going to get his thoughts on steroids. Remember, David Ortiz had his steroids issues early in his career. We're going to get his thoughts on steroids, the Hall of Fame, the Rays' potential split season Montreal and Tampa. Can they get a stadium built? And we're even going to get Steve's comments on the NFL playoffs as well. So excellent episode for you. Uh, but before we get to Mike and Steve, let's talk a little bit of divisional stuff, the controversy and the drama amongst the division. Let's go to Kansas City Buffalo first. Sunday night, Arrowhead, what a game. What a matchup between the quarterbacks. Just nothing but playmakers throughout the game. 25 points scored in the final 155 of regulation. Three touchdowns, a field goal, and a two-point conversion. But all the discussion probably is going to hinge on two things. One, what is Sean McDermott doing on defense in the last 13 seconds of the game? I've heard all week, oh, he should have squib kicked. He should have burned a couple seconds. That may be true. But let's talk about what is he doing with the balls on the 25-yard line after the touchback with 13 seconds. Why are you rushing anybody against Patrick Mahomes? Drop 11 guys in coverage, 8 DBs and 3 linebackers, 7 DBs and 4 linebackers. Get your defensive linemen off the field. Put your linebackers and your defensive backs, 11 of them, on the field. Patrick Mahomes is not running with the ball. They've got to gain 40 yards to kick a field goal. You are not losing on an 80-yard touchdown pass. When it's 11 against 5, because remember, you can only have 5 eligible receivers, the two plays that happen will never happen if there's 11 defenders in the game. Lined up, the first line of defenders line up at 7 or 8 yards. You have 6 more guys behind them. You can double-team whoever you, everybody and still have an extra guy. But there's no room on the field when it's 11 on 5 for the Chiefs to gain 40 yards in less than 10 seconds. And Mahomes is not going to hold the ball for one play for 13 seconds. So what is Sean McDermott doing rushing anybody? Let Patrick Mahomes hold the ball. Let him. He's not going to run. And remember, the lineman can't run down the field until Mahomes throws the ball. So you have five guys to cover with 11. Why he is rushing anybody on both of those plays is beyond me. So give Mahomes credit. He took advantage of what they were doing and not doing, more importantly. But what is Sean McDermott doing rushing anybody against Patrick Mahomes? No idea. What are you protecting the sidelines for when they have timeouts? There's no need to protect the sideline if the guy has timeouts, which the Chiefs did. You cannot let Tyreek Hill run 20 yards uncontested on the first play. Then they leave the middle of the hash marks open for Travis Kelsey on play number two, which allows him to kick the field goal with Butker. The next point in this game, are you a proponent of overtime, both teams getting the ball or not? Lots of speculation, controversy, talk. Oh, both teams should get the ball in overtime. Well, we thought we corrected that problem several years ago when we changed the overtime rule to where if there's a touchdown scored, the game's over. But if there's field goal, then the other team will get the ball. It's a tough call here, in my opinion. I could see in the playoffs only, you put a provision in that both teams are guaranteed one possession in the playoffs. Regular season, I don't have a problem with keeping it as a touchdown wins the game in overtime because you want to keep the plays to a minimum. 
But in play, the playoffs, I could live with both teams getting the ball. You could also potentially, I heard this idea talked about, the first team to eight points in the playoffs get win the game. So if a team scores on the first drive and they choose to go for two, they have an option to do that to end the game. Or they could kick the extra point, give the other team the ball back, and play defense. But I do think the NFL will potentially make a change to this in the offseason because, again, it's a tough way to lose when you lose by a coin toss and potentially you could lose the game. Even though the statistics say only 21% of games are decided by a team scoring a touchdown on the first drive of the game. 21% is not a big number. Do you make a rule where 80% of the time both teams get, get, get a possession? I don't know. That's going to be an interesting discussion to have. Remember, back in 2017-2018, Tom Brady beats Kansas City in Kansas City when he, he takes the ball down and scores in overtime without Mahomes getting a chance. So I could definitely see there being a rule change in the playoffs only where both teams are guaranteed a possession in the playoffs. But we will see about that. Let's go to Tampa. Tampa and the Rams. What a wild finish that was. Rams up 27-3. Bucks will come roaring back with a little bit of help from the Rams with a couple turnovers. Brady ties the game with 40 seconds to go on a running play on fourth down. Remember, the Bucks were very unlucky there because the Bucks were forced to run a fourth down play because Cam Brate was ruled short on third down when it looked like clear as day that he had gotten a first down. If the Bucks don't have to run a fourth down play there, I'm pretty confident they would have figured out a way to run more time off the clock before they scored, which would have prevented the Rams from even getting a possession basically at the end of regulation, which would have sent the game to overtime. And if that game gets to overtime, the Buccaneers win that game in overtime. There's no doubt about it in my mind. The Rams were on full tilt. The Cam Akers fumbles. The, the, their defense was reeling. Brady was in a rhythm. I didn't. There's no doubt in my mind if that game gets to overtime, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers figure out a way to win that game. They don't. They get burned by the blitz by Todd Bowles. Cooper Cup down the middle of the field for a huge gainer. Give Stafford credit for making the throw, even though it wasn't that difficult to throw, to be honest with you. Uh, and Matt Gay comes in, the former Buck comes in and puts the lights out in Raymond James Stadium. Sorry, TJ Reeves. But... What a wild finish. And again, if Brady would have made that second comeback, remember down 28-3 in the Super Bowl, would have came back from 27-3. I mean, just you can't write you can't write these scripts in this drama any better than it was written on Sunday. Uh, Bucks lose. All the concert, all the all the speculation is surrounding Tom Brady right now. What is he gonna do? You know, does he retire? Giselle putting the pressure on him about the family issues and all that. I think you're going to see Tom Brady in about a month, probably mid-February, come out. I think you're going to see Tom Brady play one more year. I think they're going to make a decision as a family. They're going to make a family announcement saying, Tom, everybody knows this is going to be it. Tom's going to play one more year, fair, kind of a farewell year in Tampa. And I think you're going to see Tom Brady play one more year of, of football for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers where everybody knows next year's it. So win or lose or Super Bowl or not or whatever the case is. So that's what I think is going to happen with, with Brady because he's too good. He's still at the top of his game, and you've not seen any 
elite athlete at the top of his game that hasn't been injured or hasn't had major strife with the organization, which Tom Brady doesn't, walk away from the game. These guys are ultra competitors that are at the top of their game. Guys don't do that when you're still at the elite level of the game. And he's going to finish probably second in the MVP vote, maybe even steal the MVP from Rodgers, but he's going to be a top two in the MVP here this year. And I just don't see with the competitiveness of in the ultra ego, not ego, but, you know, super competitive Tom Brady is that he's going to walk out knowing he's still playing at an elite level and still is a championship-level quarterback for the Buccaneers. So that's what I think you're going to see Tom Brady. Let's go to Saturday night, Green Bay, Wisconsin, Lambeau. The Packers lose 13-10 to the Niners in a game that the that the Packers had no business losing. That game should have been multi, multiple score game early. It should have been 10 or 14 to nothing early. Give the Niners credit for hanging in there. A big Mercedes Lewis fumble thwarted a drive. A blocked field goal at the end of the first half thwarted a drive, and then you had a blocked punt late in the uh, you know mid late mid mid fourth quarter, which tied the game up. Remember, the 49ers did not score an offensive touchdown in this game. Blocked punt and two field goals were the 49er points. Aaron Rodgers once again comes up small in the playoffs. Again, back to back years, he was the one seed home field advantage does not advance to a Super Bowl. And say what you want, Aaron Rodgers, at some point you got to step up and say, you know what, I played, I, pl- I did not play very well. Last third down convert, you know, say what you want. It's 10 to 10, even after the block punt. The, the Packers get the ball back with four minutes to go, first and 10, and they go three and out. Don't get a first down, punt the ball away. You have to do better than that if you're Aaron Rodgers at home, divisional round, your defense has played great in this game. You have to figure out a way to get the ball to the finish line. Third and 10 on the drive. He's got a guy, Alan Lazard, wide open on a crossing route. But no, he wants to force the ball to Devontae Adams on a post route for about 40 yards on an incompletion when Alan Lazard's wide open at 15, 18 yards down the field. And he is still running. Still running. So please, Aaron Rodgers, hell of a player, hell of a player, hell of a player. But you got to take the heat. Don't blame the special teams. And granted, they didn't play good. They cost you points. But in the bottom line is, you had the ball with four minutes to go. LaFleur drew up a perfect play for you on third down, but you didn't throw it to the right guy. And the guy would be, is wide open and still running if you throw it to the right guy. So, And you're playing again this week if you throw it to the right guy. So Aaron Rodgers, again, more playoff disaster. Does he stay in Green Bay? Does he not? I think you're going to hear a decision about his future here probably by mid-February as well. Again, Devontae Adams is key here. They're in salary cap, uh, a tough situation with salary cap situation. But I think you'll see Aaron Rodgers. Um, God, it's going to be close. I don't. I think he's going to definitely play. I don't think he's going to retire. I could see him getting traded, though. Um, look out for the Raiders, potentially for Derek Carr, because the Green Bay could get a quarterback in return that can play. I don't think they're ready to play Jordan Love yet. So I think if they make a trade with somebody, they want to get a quarterback in return that can that is serviceable. Potentially Teddy Bridgewater in Denver, D- uh, Derek Carr in, Green, in, in Vegas. We'll keep an eye on those two teams and then maybe even a Pittsburgh Steelers um, in the AFC. So I think it's going to be an AFC team. I don't think they want to trade him in the NFC one bit if they decide to move him. So, And then Cincinnati, Tennessee. Ryan Tannehill kills the Titans with his interceptions. 
just a disastrous performance by the Titans on offense. Who, I mean, A.J. Brown was terrific, but Tannehill was the difference here. Terrible uh, performance. Derrick Henry was clearly not back to what he was with, with prior to the broken foot. But again, the defense, nine sacks, give Joe Burrow lots of credit. He took a beating, but he hung in there in Evan McPherson. What a job by the rookie kicker for the Bengals. I think he's kicked seven or eight field goals in these first two weeks of the playoffs. Many of those have been 45-plusers, and he's just went center cut right down the pipe with all these kicks. So give him full credit as they head to Kansas City this week. I like Kansas City, and I like the Rams to advance to the Super Bowl in SoFi, in Los Angeles. I think you're going to have back-to-back years, home Super Bowls. Kansas City, Los Angeles will be playing in two, two and a half weeks in SoFi Stadium. So there you have it. I do like the Rams minus the three and a half as well. So that would be a, from a gambling perspective. Take the Rams minus the three and a half. Remember, they've lost six games in a row to the 49ers. They played in week 18. Rams blow a 17-0 lead. I think you'll see the offensive firepower of the Rams. The receiving receivers are going to be a problem for the 49ers. I like the Rams minus the three and a half at home. Um, gun to my head, I would take the Chiefs minus the seven, but I probably will tease that down to one. And I'll also probably tease the uh, Rams as well. So uh, give me the Chiefs and give me the Rams going to Super Bowl 57, I believe is the number. And uh, look forward to our conversation with Mike Neighbors. And Steve Carney, Mike Neighbors will be up right after this break, and we'll be right back on the Powers on Sports podcast. JPO Sports is the Twitter handle, all the podcast platforms. Tell your friends and colleagues to subscribe, rate, and review, and we'll be right back with Mike Neighbors. We'll be right back to the Powers on Sports podcast in just a minute. Hey, guys and girls, with the NFL playoffs and college hoop season in full swing and March Madness right around the corner, you need a sports book with integrity and longevity like BetUS. You may not know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. That is BetUS.com. They have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 1-800-69-BETUS. That's 1-800-MY-BETUS. You will receive 125% sign-on bonus by using my special code, POWERS22. That's Powers 22, P-O-W-E-R-S 22. They also have re-up and referral bonuses as well. BetUS is known as America's favorite sports book for a lot of reasons, but most importantly because you get paid. Remember, use the code Powers 22 to get 125% sign-on bonus. BetUS has all of your NBA and NHL games with player and team props and loads of NFL parlays, teasers, and live betting options. You can bet UFC matches and props, PGA Tour golf, player and round matchups, as well as live betting on most sports. The, their online casino has hundreds of games and the race book has all of your favorite horse tracks. They have every bet type imaginable and the Sharp BetUS mobile app platform is easy with full betting options. Follow my, my lead and get your phone online and social sports betting partner with integrity and longevity like I did, BetUS. You bet, you win, and most importantly, you get paid. BetUS, and remember the promo code POWERS22. 
BetUS, where the games begin. We'll be back to the podcast in just a moment. Now a word from Titan Home Lending. If you have any financing and home purchasing needs, reach out to Jason Powers. Yeah, that's me. Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. Titan can help you finance any home purchase in the state of Florida and soon-to-be Colorado. Whether it's a home, condominium, second home, investment property, Titan Home Lending can help you. VA loans, FHA loans, conventional loans, jumbo loans, renovation loans, anything in between. Give me an opportunity to get you pre-approved Titan Home Lending. If you're moving to Florida from another state, we'd love to help you as well. So many people are moving to the state of Florida, and Titan Home Lending can help you from Pensacola to Key West. So again, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. And now back to the Powers on Sports podcast. All right. Welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. It is championship week edition in the National Football League. We are going to talk all things NFL divisional recap. What a wild week of divisional matchups we had. Probably the greatest divisional weekend in the history of the NFL. Topped by one, in my opinion, probably one of the top five playoff games of all time with Kansas City and Buffalo Sunday night in Arrowhead. But before we do that, We've got some break, other breaking news. Sean Payton is resigned and is retiring in New Orleans. And no better guy to talk the Saints and Sean Payton than Mike Neighbors. Mike's the president of the Neighbors Media Group. He's covered the Saints for many, many years, for over 15 years. And more importantly, he just finished writing the book, The Breezeway. He was the author with Drew Brees on the breezeway, which was released back in December of 2021. And it's been very successful early on in their sales and such. So welcome back to the podcast, Mike. Always good to be on with you, my friend. How are you? I'm well, I'm well. Happy New Year. Hope you had a good Christmas and New Year's, all that good stuff. Let's get to the book first. Talk to me about the book. I know you've had a lot of, you've been doing a lot of book signings around the Southeast and such. Talk about how uh, the success of the book and how things going. Yeah, Breezeway, we released it on December 9th, uh, obviously uh, intentional for number nine. And you mentioned the book signings. Uh, I, mean, I didn't know what to make of those when you when those were organized, because it's almost like throwing a party and you're not sure if anybody is showing <laughs> up or not. Uh, but they've gone well. Uh, we've sold uh, close to 2000 copies in December and we're trying to keep the momentum going. I think what's helped us is we released it during the holidays. We released it during football season, and we also released it at a time when Saints fans are hungry for good news. It's been a frustrating season. Obviously, you know, they didn't make the playoffs, and then Sean Payton retires. So, you know, uh, I think the timing of this book is good for, for Saints Nation. But beyond that, if you're a Buccaneer fan listening, if you're a football fan listening, you'll like this book. Doug Flutie wrote the foreword. Uh, you know, it's an underdog story. I mean, not many people predicted Drew Brees would obviously be a Hall of Famer future Hall of Famer. So it goes behind the curtain and what made him successful, not only, you know, as a, as a football player, but a man. So it's a, it's a football uh, fans book, not just a Saints fan, not just a Drew Brees fan. How did you, and obviously, I mean, Brees, I mean, just retired. How did you, how did that whole idea come up between you and Drew of doing this project and how receptive was he to do it? And 
How did he obviously you, – you've worked with the Saints doing pre- and post-game stuff for many, many years covering the Saints, working for the Saints. How did all that relationship really foster to where you were the author? Because I'm sure there were lots of guys in line that would love to have been the author. Well, I just didn't want to have a missed opportunity because I had really brokered the deal with Breeze and my network 15 years ago after his first season in New Orleans. So we didn't do it his first year. We did it the 14 seasons after that. But I had so much material, and I knew that I didn't want to look – back and say boy I wish I would have written a book and it would have been more advantageous to do it right when he retired so Drew had to sign off that I could use all the interviews that we did together and he did that and he was great about it and and then I then once I got Doug Flutie then I thought you know what I got to make this not just Drew and I so I reached out to many of his former teammates who endorsed the book such as Deuce McAllister Roman Harper, you know, former teammates that were very pivotal in his career. So it's been a fun process. You know, I'm a broadcaster by trade, but I tell this to young broadcasters all the time. I'm teaching at Florida Southern now. You got to be a five tool person really to be a broadcaster. You got to speak well and you got to write well and produce well and, and do all those things. And writing's always been a passion for me. And frankly, Jason, I wanted to write the book. You know, you want to make money, obviously, but the, the big goal for me was just to see if I could do it. Right. And now that I've done it, and now that I've gone through the process, I'm planning on writing more. I have ideas for upcoming books, uh, non-sports related. So it's been a fun process. And the relationship I had with Drew, I just didn't want to waste it. I wanted to give Saints fans really a behind-the-curtain view. But really, uh, non-football fans have reached out to me. I did a hit in Jacksonville a week ago, gave them my information. Because you go to MikeNeighbors.com, and I'll give you a personalized copy, have my Venmo, PayPal, information i had 10 fans from jacksonville of all places wow. reach out to me so you never know who's listening you never know who's interested and that's been the fun part of the process that's cool yeah tell everybody where they can where they can get the book if they do if they are interested in the book uh, is amazon as well and mikeneighbors.com absolutely the breeze way uh three words it's on amazon that's an easy way to get it. or if you want to sign copy uh, just go to my website, Mike Neighbors, N-A-B as in boy, O-R-S, MikeNeighbors.com. I have all my information there. I'll send you copies. $23 there, but shipping is included. Cool. Great. Awesome, man. All right. So just uh, to, to piggyback onto the whole New Orleans Saints, obviously the news yesterday was Sean Payton retiring. That had kind of been simmering a little bit for the last week or so. It's funny, but when I reached out to you to do this today, we didn't know that Drew, we didn't know Sean Payton was retiring. It had been percolating a little bit, but the, the timing was perfect. So again, good karma for the Powers on Sports podcast. Sean Absolutely. Payton. Yeah, Sean Payton, the winningest coach in Saints history. 152 wins, comes in in 2006 during all the Katrina stuff. You were there during all that stuff. Just give us the sense of when Sean Payton was hired. People knew who Sean Payton was because he worked for Parcells and a little bit and all that but he wasn't a big, big name coach. I heard yesterday in his press conference, he really thought he was going to get in the Green Bay job when Mike McCarthy got the Green Bay job. And then he comes to New Orleans and he was kind of the, the next guy in New Orleans. Talk about that whole, how the Saints end up getting Sean Payton in the building. You've done your homework, my friend. Yeah, he wanted that Packers job. He was really upset when he didn't get the Packers job. Remember, He remembers getting the call that he didn't get it in a hotel room and just thinking, man, what's going to happen to me? I really wanted that job. The ironic part of this, Jason, is now you have Mike McCarthy, the head coach of Dallas, all these years later, and you have Cowboys fans clamoring, get rid of McCarthy, bring Peyton in, and both of them only have one Super Bowl title. But I think when you look at the journey, 
for Sean Payton, what he did in New Orleans was much more impressive than what Mike McCarthy did in Green Bay. Because, you know, obviously he had Drew Brees and McCarthy had, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Brett Favre. But here was the difference. You know, to me, you come into a place like New Orleans, and there's been a lot of rebuilding jobs over the years in the NFL, but nothing quite like New Orleans. Not only the Katrina factor, which Sean Payton mentioned yesterday, when he was trying to assemble his staff and when they hired everybody and brought in the players, it was the K word. Don't say the K word. Right. Don't use Katrina as an excuse. We're going to move on past that. But nobody in NFL history had to go into a situation like that, not only with Katrina and the city in shambles, as New Orleans was, but the history of the Saints. Right. I mean, they've been around since the 60s, had won one playoff game, one playoff game ever. And now that Sean Payton's left after 16 years, he won nine. He won a Super Bowl. He won so many division titles. And I think the lasting impression that New Orleans fans will have with him is the beginning. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl for them. But he arrived at a time when everybody was leaving. Right. And they will never forget that. No matter what he does the rest of his life, I can't imagine Sean Payton ever having to buy a beer or a hurricane in New Orleans. He's beloved there for what he did. And they're disappointed that he's leaving. But it's more of an appreciation of what Sean Payton did. And when you talk about his legacy, too, you know, I think this is a big narrative with Breeze. You know, what if he would have gone to Miami? instead of New Orleans, because if he would have gone to Miami, you know, Nick Saban was there. He would have stayed. Nick Saban right. wouldn't have gone to Alabama. You know, Sean Payton may have had to draft Matt Leinart or Vince Young or Jay Cutler. Everything would have changed. But here's the one thing I will point out about that. Sean Payton made Drew Brees better. I don't think Drew Brees would have been Drew Brees with Nick Saban. He would have been good, but Sean Payton made him great and made him future Hall of Famer. They were the perfect marriage in New Orleans. So when you look at Sean Payton, you mentioned too of Bill Parcells. Yeah, he has Bill Parcells roots. He has John Gruden roots. He's been around a lot of head coaches. But Sean Payton made his own mark. There's only one Sean yeah, Payton. There's only one guy like that who was known for so many things. You know, his innovative offense, but the fact that he was a risk taker too. Going forward on fourth down so many times during games, the onside kick to begin the second half of the Super yes. Bowl. There's only one Sean Payton, and I tell you, you had the bounty year, you had three straight losing seasons, you had the Super Bowl year, you had 06 when nobody expected them to go to the NFC Championship game, but Jason, the whole time, it was never boring with Sean Payton. That's that's my big takeaway from him. And, and back to your risk-taking, he, he took probably the biggest risk of them all because 2006, Nick Saban fails Sean, or Drew Brees on the physical. He yeah. says, Breeze coming off the major soldier injury with, with the Chargers. Yeah. I'm going to take a chance. I'm going to overpay for, for, for Drew Breeze because he admitted that yesterday. Hey, yeah. I probably paid more than I, we needed to pay for Drew Breeze. But he took the chance, and it turned out to be probably one of the top. Him and Reggie White, probably the two best free agent signings in NFL yeah. history. Absolutely. I, you did your homework because I like what Sean Payton did at his said at his press conference, which was 92 minutes, by the way. Yeah. Sean Payton's not known for really liking the media or like liking to talk to the media. He apologized to the media for the way he's acted, especially early on in his career. Uh, so it was interesting, his press conference. But back to Breeze, I thought it was interesting. What Payton said is that at that point, you know, they're just trying to make it work in New Orleans. Right. And he said, quote, we're not winning many jump balls. So with that said, we had to get Drew Brees. We had to have some kind of hope that he would figure it out. And in my book, The Brees Way, I really talk about when he and Peyton started, 
it was shaky. I mean, he was coming off that shoulder injury. Jason, he could barely throw the ball in training camp. Roman Harper, who's a big uh, resource for my book, said, you know, at practice, they're wondering, man, is this guy going to be all right? And Breeze told me the turning point for his career, and they had a horrible preseason in 06. Scott Shanley, who was a linebacker on that team, a good friend of mine I do a podcast with, he remembers calling his wife after one of the preseason games and saying, I don't know if we're going to win a game this year. I mean, it was really bad. And Breeze, Breeze made a throw in the third preseason game in Jackson, Mississippi, because he had to play there because the Superdome wasn't ready. And he said he made one throw. And he knew at that point, even though he had a horrible game, that he was going to be okay. It was a turning point throw. He told Peyton after the game, and he said at the time, he felt like Peyton was maybe humoring him and saying, okay, Drew. And then years later, uh, they laugh about it. But it's crazy the risk they took on Drew Brees and the dividends that paid off for them. Yeah, that's crazy. I want to, I want to, you mentioned Bounty Gate. I want to get your thought on Bounty Gate. Just you were there during that whole episode, obviously – bringing the fans back. It was during the whole, the year Brett Favre, they played the NFC title game against Minnesota. There was the allegations and all that. He got suspended for a year. What was his mindset during that year off, during that whole scandal of, was the NFL after trying to get him? I mean, just what was the whole theme around that whole bounty gate thing was relative to Sean Payton? Well, I think looking back, uh, one day we'll really know the true story of that. But and that's when Roger Goodell became public enemy number one in New Orleans. I mentioned Sean Payton will never pay for a drink. Roger Goodell will always pay for a drink in the city of New Orleans. Because when you look at that situation, I mean, they tried to suspend player after player after player. They kept appealing, appealing, and all of them won. All of them won every appeal. Greg Williams, to me, was the biggest culprit in all of it. But let's be honest. Just like Tom Brady with the footballs and deflating footballs, you know, bounties aren't good. It was obviously sensitive before they made the changes with the concussion protocols. But it's it's something that has happened in the NFL with a lot of teams for a long time. Right. And they singled out the New Orleans Saints. And at the end of the day, nothing was really proven. You know, Sean Payton misses a year of football. And the crazy thing is he comes back the next year and they make the playoffs. Right. And they were horrible in 2012, which showed how much they missed Sean Payton. It was weird that year because – they would let Peyton come back at times. I remember they played in the Hall of Fame game that year. And God, who was it? Willie Rofe, I think, was part of that Hall of Fame class. So they let they let and Cortez Kennedy was too. And he was a big advisor to the Saints at that time. So they let Peyton attend that. So he comes and he shakes Breeze's hand really quickly and had to leave. And I remember that year when Breeze broke the record of Johnny Unitas for consecutive games with a touchdown pass. And they let Peyton hang out in the luxury suite to just watch the game. And then he had to leave. It was almost like he was in jail and they let him out for good behavior. Yeah. And then he had to go back to his suspension. And the crazy thing about Bre uh, Peyton's retirement, the, the movie about this, you know, his lost season where he didn't coach the saints, but he coached his son's uh, peewee team is now a movie. It's going to be released. I think next week and Kevin James play Sean Payton. Yeah. That's coming out next week. So you know, it's it's Sean Payton. Uh, I mean, he's making headlines every week. So it's uh, that was a weird year, though. I, I don't I, I've never seen anything quite like that uh, covering the NFL. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. Let's talk about where do the Saints go from here? You know, you got two guys in the building that are very, you know, a lot of speculation. Dennis Allen, Pete Carmichael, strong candidates for the job. The Saints are in bad salary cap situation about around 70, 65, 70 million dollars 
over the cap, so they've got to do a lot of finagling of the salary cap. What do you think the Saints do? Do you think they stay in, in, in the building, or do you think they look outside of the building? I think right now, uh, if you look at Sean Payton, and I'll go start with this. He didn't say this at his press conference, but that quarterback situation, uh, it was very tough on him yes. last year. I mean, you know, he tried to harness Jameis Winston, and Jameis Winston was a serviceable quarterback, but then he loses Jameis Winston. Then he had to make it work with Trevor Simeon, and he loves Taysom Hill, but you know, Taysom Hill is not a starting quarterback in the NFL. He, he's a fun player, and Sean Payton made him fun. I'll never forget when Taysom Hill made his first tackle on special teams in the game. We didn't really know who the guy was. And then all of a sudden, he's playing wide receiver and running back and then quarterback. And I know they locked him in, but I think they want to keep him as that secret weapon. I think Sean Payton, I don't know this for sure, I'm just guessing, knows that they're not going to get Aaron Rodgers and they're not going to get Russell Wilson. The crazy thing is, and this is this has been reported, and I believe this, if Drew Brees would have retired after the 2019 season, Tom Brady would have gone to New Orleans before he would have gone to Tampa. But that never happened, so that's ifs and buts or whatever. Right. I just feel like one of the reasons Sean Payton isn't coming back is because of the quarterback situation. I, I think the leader in the clubhouse right now is Jameis Winston, but he's coming off an injury, and he doesn't have Sean Payton. So I think one of the biggest losers of the Sean Payton retirement is Jameis Winston because he learned the offense – set out a season with Drew Brees and Sean Payton. Then he played with Payton, got hurt. Right. And now he doesn't get to potentially come back. He's a free agent right. with Sean Payton. So, you know, I, I know that, you know, people were banning Jimmy Garoppolo because he went to the same college as Sean Payton, broke a lot of his records. But now with Payton out of the mix, I could see a guy like Bridgewater. They really like Teddy Bridgewater right. if uh, Jameis doesn't work out. But I think Jameis – is the leader right now. And the rest of the team, Jason, looks pretty good. I mean, I think they get Michael Thomas back, which makes the rest of that receiving core a lot better. Um, the offensive line, they may lose Teron Armstead, but the bulk of that offensive line's back, and they're really, really good. Kamara is the centerpiece of that football team. And the defense, just ask the Bucks how good that Saints defense is. For the most part, all those guys are coming back. So we say it time and time again, you can have a good football team in the NFL, but you got to have a quarterback. And that's the big question mark for New Orleans, despite, uh, you know, who's going to be the head coach, too. And then the $64,000 question, all the rumors, all the speculation. I just saw a report this morning that apparently back in 2019, there was a deal in place for Sean to maybe go to Big D, back to Jerry yeah. Jones land. Obviously, he's got the connection, work for Parcells for Jerry Jones. Everybody's speculating, okay, they're going to fire McCarthy, and here comes Sean Payton. They're going to make a trade with the Saints, send, send Mrs. Benson a nice big check in the mail and some, and some draft capital, and Sean Payton will be the new head coach of the Cowboys. How realistic do you think that is? I don't think it's going to happen this year, but I could definitely see it happening a year from now, uh, this time next year. Yeah, I don't see it happening this year, but I would never rule it out. Sean Payton's definitely going to coach you again. I mean, Young guy. I mean, how many times do we see a press conference where they don't use the word never, but they come really close? I think somebody made a good comparison yesterday that Bill Cowher has similar press conference to Sean Payton where he didn't rule it out and many thought he would come back. And obviously he never came back. Right. I think Sean Payton is different. You heard Sean Payton talk about, you know, really his passion for the craft of coaching at the press conference. I mean, he talked about being a teacher loving the relationships he has with the players in the front office, the scouting department, everybody in the building. 
And he, he basically said he's going to coach again without saying it. I mean, he right. hinted at it, he hinted at it over and over again. And you, we've seen a lot of these press conferences, Jason, where they don't hint at it the way Sean Payton did. I think he could go into TV. I'm hearing that you know the Amazon deal with the Thursday Night Football, the Troy Aikman's looking at that, and that would free up Joe Buck and, and obviously Sean Payton a little bit. I don't know how good a broadcaster he'll be. It's always weird because I didn't know how good Tony Romo would be, and he's really good. And then Drew Brees, I think Drew is very good on the air, but you got to be critical to really be a great broadcaster. And I'm not sure Brees has that in him. He's, he's young. He's, we'll see what happens. But I think Sean Payton could be critical. That, that's what could help him as a broadcaster because, I mean, he's throwing shade yesterday at the Who Day Nation in Cincinnati saying yeah. the Who that was yeah. the original. He's throwing shade at the Bucks. You know, they won, but we beat them. And even Eli Apple – you know, who's playing for the Bengals and who questioned the Saints fan base. He's not afraid to do the choke sign to Devontae Freeman when he played for the Atlanta Falcons. I mean, Sean yeah. Payton, fun broadcaster, just, just talking trash and, and not being afraid to criticize. He was never afraid to criticize as a coach. Having that leeway as a broadcaster and not having an allegiance to a team, that could be interesting. He always had an edge. He, he and Dirk Cutter had a dust up there a couple of years yeah, back. And he's right. had some, he's had some tense moments with some other coaches and some players and that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously this year with the Tom Brady and the Dennis Allen situation on the sideline. So yeah, uh, Sean's not afraid to dust it up with players and coaches and, you know, <laughs> run his mouth a little bit during these games. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. He, the, I just go back to my original theme with Sean Payton. It was never boring. It was never boring. Even when they're losing the offense is rolling and you're wondering why can't they have a good defense, but it was never boring on or off the field with Sean Payton. Never. No, no doubt about it. the ownership of the saints, obviously Gail Benson now taking over Tom Benson for several years now. How, how does that play into the whole new coaching? Do, do they maybe go, I won't say a rebuild program for a year or two. How do you think the ownership's going to, take the franchise moving forward? Well, I think a big loss component of the offseason for the Saints, and it's still not over yet, is Jeff Ireland and what he's done to that front office in terms of the drafts. I mean, that 2017 draft with Lattimore and Kamara and Ryan Ramchak and Trey Hendrickson, who's with Cincinnati, yeah. who they couldn't keep because he was you know, offered too much money. Jeff Ireland was the architect of that draft. As long as he's still in the building, I like the, the draft moves that they can make. They're going to spend money. I don't think that's ever going to change. I do think Dennis Allen's going to get the job. He's a real popular guy inside that building. It would be a natural transition. And yep. Pete Carmichael could be the offensive coordinator. He's been Sean Payton's right-hand man. But the bottom line is they can spend money and they can have great drafts. But you're not going to have Sean Payton. Sean Payton's one of the most innovative minds in the NFL. And, you know, you can bring in familiar faces and, and, and really Dennis Allen – People talk about the Bucks figuring out Tom Brady. Dennis Allen figured out Tom Brady. Yeah, he really set the blueprint for that one that the Rams really uh, watched and 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 took over in the playoffs. But I think you don't have Sean Payton. That's a huge loss. Just the edge he brings to the building. I mean, that building, everybody knows that Sean Payton's the alpha guy in that building. Yeah, they know it. I know inside that building, him not being there, there's probably a little less tension this morning. Because he's on top of everything, from the PR staff to the marketing department. He has his hands in everything. Probably how, how, how the, the thermostat is in the building. I don't know that for a fact, but he's got his hands on everything. So, you know, that may be tough for the organization to deal with when he was there, but they're going to miss all the things he did in terms of innovative offenses, risk-taking ability, 
just the 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 way I let, the thing I look about Sean Payton too is he always picked the best guy. He would never play favorites. If you were a top really? draft pick, he would pick the guy he thought was the best player. I remember Pierre Thomas, who became a a mainstay in that Super Bowl run. You know, Antonio Pittman was a fourth round draft pick out of Ohio State. Pierre Thomas was a free agent. Pierre Thomas had a better training camp. They cut their fourth round pick because Pierre Thomas beat him out. You saw that time and time again. So they're going to miss a lot of things about Sean Payton. That's for sure. I mean, yeah, that you made a great point there. How many of their wide receivers were number one draft picks? You had none other than Mike Thomas. And he, I don't think he was the number one you had. He was two. He was a two. Yeah. Marcus Colston was a nobody. Lance Moore was a nobody. You right. know, the guy Deontay Harris was is now is a, is a guy nobody's ever heard. I mean, he is tremendous at developing offensive players. I mean, that's a, that full credit to Sean and his scouting. And he was the guy that discovered Tony Romo in Dallas. Yeah. He went to the kilt for the Cowboys to draft to sign Tony Romo, not just because he went to the same school, because he's but he saw he saw the greatness in what Tony Romo could be and he and all that stuff. So, all right. Listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. We're here with Mike Neighbors, president of the Neighbors Media Group. He's covered the Saints for many, many years. The author of The Breezeway, which you can buy on MikeNeighbors.com as well as Amazon. Let's get to the last weekend and we'll get a last weekend. We'll do a preview of this weekend. The greatest weekend in the history of the NFL playoffs for the NFL. All four oh games gets are, are decided on the last play of the game. Three of them by kicks and one of them where they kick to end regulation and then a touchdown to end overtime. Just your general thoughts about the weekend. My friend, I agree with you. We're not a prisoner of the moment. No, nope. that was outstanding football. And, you know, we could debate the overtime rule or not, but I, you know, Patrick Mahomes, I'm not, I, I almost laughed earlier in the season when people are, you know, putting Herbert above him and, and maybe some quarterbacks. It, to me, that shows the quality of quarterback play, young quarterback play we have in the NFL. But uh, I mean, I, I just, I mean, I'm just amazed at the, display the bills and the chiefs put on and uh the overtime rule to me you got to give both teams a possession and then have sudden death because it's just not fair uh to to one side i know you can say well we'll stop them yeah it's, that's not the way the nfl is right now it's right. not and I, I just disagree with that notion but i mean top to bottom the buccaneer game it almost felt like Jeez. the way it was playing out the bucks were going to win that game especially when Fournette scores and they tie it, all the chances the Rams gave the Bucs, it yep. just seemed like it was all lining up. Then you look at that Niners team. I mean, they've owned the Rams. And the way that they've won football games, I tell you, cover the New Orleans Saints, the Saints beat the Falcons. We're watching the Niners play the Rams that last regular season game. If the right. Rams win, the Saints go to L.A. Right. The Niners win that game. And the way they won that game was remarkable. With Down Garoppolo 17. driving them. Down yeah, 17 nothing. Just like the Bucs. Um, it was crazy. So I, I just I think this is why the NFL is king, because we've seen it uh, the past couple of weeks, especially last weekend. I mean, you're not going to see any better theater in sports right now. All right, let's talk Aaron Rodgers. What, what a meltdown in Green Bay. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, just the, the continued playoff underachievement, you know, it's it's crazy to think that a guy that good has just been has only been to one Super Bowl with as many opportunities as he had. He's had home field advantage the last two years and has come up short. Just your thoughts. Is that the last time you're going to see Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau? 
I don't think so. I, I think here's the thing with Aaron Rodgers is, uh, you know, he's become kind of whiny to me. I'm, I'm tired of Aaron Rodgers. You know, uh, Aaron Rodgers, you know what? Rex Grossman has as many appearances in a Super Bowl as you do. Right. Not as many titles, but there's no questioning his ability. I'm questioning his leadership yep. and really the edge in the playoffs because, I mean, he's going to look around. Yeah, you want to go to Denver or, you know, you want to go to maybe Cleveland or you want to go to Houston. Pittsburgh. Really? Yeah. Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh may be okay, but you don't have the talent you have in Green Bay. And I wonder, you know, as much as Green Bay loves Aaron Rodgers, if you're a cheesehead fan, are you tired of this? Like either you're with us or you're not Right. enough. I mean, I think Saints fans to some degree went through that with Sean Payton because every year, you know, he was kind of flirting and then he kind of had a press conference uh, four years ago saying, I'm here, I'm staying, which he did. And of course now he's leaving, but he stayed for a little while. I'm just tired of Aaron Rodgers. I'm over it. Like either stay or go. But I think before you keep talking about it, look at the situation, because if you don't like it in green Bay, how's it going to feel if you go to one of these AFC teams where maybe they consult you Aaron Rodgers, but they're not making the good front office moves. The green Bay Packers are, he's got a really, he's a smart guy. He's just, just, I'm just tired of him, tired of him. And he always makes excuses. It's never, I played bad. It's right. always, well, the special teams, the letter, you know, bottom line is say what you want Saturday night in Green Bay. Yeah, they gave up a block punt. They, they had a block field goal, missed a field goal. With four minutes left in the game, the game was 10 to 10. Aaron Rodgers had the ball first down at the 25-yard line, and he went three and out. And on third down, he misses Alan Lazard, who might still be running on a crossing route across the middle of the field. He might still be running. Because he, he wants to force the ball to Devontae Adams 100 times. And with that said, if you're a Green Bay fan, of course you want Aaron Rodgers. But with all the whining and not performing, I just think it just escalates this whole, you know, just, just enough, Aaron. Either, either stay or go. Enough. Yep. Let's, go, let's come down to our neck of the woods, Tampa, Florida. Speculation, Tom Brady might go, might not go. He sounds like he's getting some pressure from Giselle and the family. What do you think happens with Brady? I think it's up to him. He stays. I mean, the most indicative comment that Tom Brady had was in Sports Illustrated Sportsman of the Year article when he said, you know, I don't want to reach a point where I retire and I'm watching the game and I feel like I can play better than a lot of these guys. Right. Well, he's at that point. I mean, if you look at Tom Brady's season, he threw for almost as many touchdown passes as years of his life, the most yardage ever. There are a lot of quarterbacks who aren't as good as Tom Brady. The majority of quarterbacks aren't. I agree with you. I think this is all family. And I don't know. I don't have any information here. I'm just reading the tea leaves that obviously his kids are getting older and he wants to spend more time with them. But I'll say this too. I talked to a lot of former players and they like the fact that the kids can remember them playing or yes. they have regrets that the kids don't remember them playing. They wish their kids could have you know, remembered them playing. So I think it works both ways, but I'm sure I'm guessing there's a lot of pressure there. You keep hearing Giselle doesn't like him getting hit over and over again. And I also wonder, you know, he comes down here for a year uh, initially, maybe, and he wins a Super Bowl. And I'm sure he's thinking, I can't just leave now. We just won a right. Super Bowl. I can't do one and done. We can't right. just try to repeat. I think that's what makes this interesting is that they didn't repeat, but he still went out on a good note, a great effort, a, you know, career highs. He could go out on a high note. So I wouldn't be surprised if he retired, but I agree with you. I think he will retire because of his family, if that's the case. 
but I still think he's staying. I really do. I do too. I think I think there. I think you're going to hear from him probably in two to three weeks, a month, middle of February. You're going to see. Hey, we've come to a family decision. Next year will be my last year. I think they'll. I think it'll be a public announcement. Hey, I'm going to play one more year, and that's it. So I, I I'm with you. I I think in the end it will drive him crazy. One, two, you know this. The elite athletes that know they can still play. What are you going to do in retirement? At some point after a month of retirement, you're thinking to yourself, why am I not out training? Why am I not at, at mini camp or training camp? Guys that know they can still play. Well, Drew Brees is an example of that. I mean, Drew Brees would still be playing if he hadn't gotten hurt over and over again. And I know that weighed on his family a lot, weighed on him a lot because right. he'd never been hurt. He was like Brady. I mean, Brady's been hurt, but Brees was getting hurt more often and missing more and more games. And he's every bit the competitor Tom Brady is. Both those yeah. guys. That's why they lasted as long. That's why they overcame the odds they they overcome. So overcame. So, yeah, I agree with you on all that. Absolutely. All right, get you out of here on this Cincinnati. The Joe Burrow again, LSU Love guy. It. I Love mean, it. what what a competitor this guy's turning into. Gritty, gutty gets just you know gets sacked nine times in Tennessee. Just guts it out. Figures out a way to win. Evan McPherson, the Florida Gator kicker. What a, what a great draft pick that's turned out to be. Can Cincinnati go to Arrowhead and get it done? Well, I don't think they can, but I love this football team. And I love the swag of this football team. I mean, how about Evan McPherson walking out on the field and just saying, man, looks like we're going to go to the AFC Championship game. Tells his teammates that before he even kicks the football. <laughs> know, right? And then I read an article by Bruce Feldman in The Athletic this week that made me love Joe Burrow even more, and I really respect the confidence that he has. And he really broke down all the turning points at LSU that made him successful because he went in there. I mean, he was low in the depth chart. He wasn't the guy coming in. Didn't he have a good junior dip. year. Junior yeah. year was very average. Yeah, I covered that game in Florida where he threw the interception that, that cost him the game against the Gators. I mean, Felipe Franks outplayed Joe Burrow in the swamp his junior year. Here's the thing I love about Joe Burrow, though. All these stories that when he hadn't won the job at LSU and they're playing in the spring and Devin White's still on that football team and Devin White would always chirp to the offense and Joe Burrow told him to shut the hell up. And he was the first guy to do that. And he hadn't won the job yet. Right. That's the kind of confidence he has. He got hurt in a football game. They were going to bring, bring in miles Brennan, who was the glory boy. looks like he'll be the starter this year in LSU. He looked at Orgeron. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm staying out here. He's got that factor that you can't weigh he does. when you evaluate quarterbacks, even though he was number one overall pick. But he's got the same intangibles that Brady has and Breeze has in terms of having the clutch gene, having the leadership gene, and more importantly, having that confidence no matter what the circumstance is, and it permeates to the rest of the football team. Joe Burrow's just unusual. I don't think they'll win against Kansas City. I just think Mahomes is special. That's a tough place to play. But I do agree with Burrow. The, the stadiums in the SEC are louder than the NFL. I love that comment, too. It's true what he's saying. So I would love to see them win, frankly. But I just think Kansas City is too tough. And it's a great story for the state of Ohio. He's, a, he's an Ohio kid. He oh, yeah. wants to be in Cincinnati. You know, he got his guy, you know, they're building. Zach Taylor doing a, he's a building job, kind of kind of similar to what Peyton did in, in New Orleans a little bit. He and Burrow kind of tied to the hip. So it might be yeah. one of these situations where everybody always dogs the Bengals for how cheap they are and how backwards <laughs> they are with scouting and all that stuff. And and little old Joe Burrow just finding a way to, to plug it through. So I'm with you. I think Kansas City will win. 
quick pick in the uh, Rams-San Francisco game. Oh, that's so tough. I think the Rams finally win. It's the law of averages. Uh, They have a chance to play on their brand-new stadium home field and all that stuff. I think this Niners team is really well-rounded. I just don't think that they can beat them three times in one year, and it will be the seventh straight win, too. I just think that's too much to ask. But I tell you what, man, if the Niners win again – and then play in LA. How sweet <laughs> would that be for those guys? No, to just right? it would be it would be the equivalent to me of uh, like the Atlanta Falcons building a new stadium and the Saints beating the Falcons for like the third time and then playing the Super Bowl in Atlanta or something like that. <laughs> it's it's crazy. So I think it's Rams and I think it's Chiefs and then uh, get your popcorn, man. The NFL just gets more. It gets better and better. And if the Rams win, it'll be the second straight year the home team's hosting the Super Bowl. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and then they'll actually have fans. Then you feel for Bucks fans even more. I know, right? All right. Yeah. Well, Mike, great job, man. Keep up the great work. Again, publish, publish, publicize where they can find you on social media and where they can get the book one more time. Yeah, at Mike Neighbors, N-A-B as in boy, O-R-S. It's the Breeze Way, just like Drew Breeze, the Breeze Way. It's on Amazon. If you want to sign copy, go to MikeNeighbors.com, and I will send you one to your home and personalize it to uh, whomever you want me to. And also, I forgot to mention, remember, Mike's, Mike's been doing the series with the Saints called Aaron's. Publicize that real quick. Yeah, we just shot uh, two more episodes recently. And uh, I tell you, we have uh, we have two candidates now that aren't doing as much anymore, Sean Payton and Drew Brees, so I'd like to get those guys. But we run errands with sports celebrities. Uh, we have them pick uh, the two to three errands of their choice. We pick them up in a car. Great conversations in between. We get out of the car, run errands with them. Go to YouTube. We do errands saints. I started with Dick Vitale, Dick Vitale errands. Thinking of Dickie V right now, man. I, I got to say, I yeah. owe this project to Dickie V, who put it on the map. And I know a lot of people think, oh, Dickie V. I tell you, he's a genuine guy. He's a heartfelt man. Absolutely. Gives a lot of his time to pediatric cancer. Great family man. Uh, prayers for Dickie V right now. He's the he's the one that jump started that project for sure. A- abs- no, absolutely. That's a, that's a great that's a great comment. And uh, like I said, Mike, you do a great job, man. We're right, right down the street. We're gonna me you me you and TJ need to go to lunch again real soon. Come on now. And Felios, man, the the, yes. the Fab Four. Let's make it happen, man. Yes. We're like the four horsemen back in the Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's do it. TJ and I have more work. time now so we can do it. That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> keep keep up the great work, Mike. Appreciate you jumping on with us, and we will see you next time. And uh, great work through the spring. Anytime, my friend. I enjoyed it. All right. We'll be right back with more on the Powers on Sports podcast. We'll be right back with Steve Carney to talk a little MLB Hall of Fame induction. Check out my new podcast called the No Quarter Given Podcast, where myself and Peter Blake, we give a historical analysis of all the Buck opponents throughout the regular season. Week to week, every opponent that the Bucks will play this year, we will do a podcast on a historical overview of the rivalry between the Bucks and this week's opponent. So f- subscribe, rate, and review to the No Quarter Given Podcast on all your podcast platforms. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm Jason. You just heard us, heard Mike Neighbors give us a good breakdown on Sean Payton and the NFL playoffs and all that kind of good stuff. And now we are going to transition to, and big news this week, the Hall of Fame voters made their choices for the 2022 class, and only one member was elected, one David Ortiz, and nobody better to talk to 
Hall, baseball. We're going to talk lockout. We're going to talk Rays. We're going to talk Hall of Fame with Steve Carney. Steve is the founder of St. Pete Nine. Steve also does a couple podcasts. He's also now working for Major League Baseball, doing some some uh, some work for them. So, Steve, welcome back to the podcast, sir. Well, Jason, if I had known that Mike Neighbors was going to be uh, preceding me, I would have showed up earlier for that. <laughs> Mike has been a, an old is an old friend of mine. We go back probably close to fifteen years, so uh, it's always great uh, when you've got. Uh, good people like that on your podcast, you know, you're doing well. So yeah. I told, I told Mike, I told Mike the first time I had him on, I was like, I remember back when I lived in Birmingham, Mike was working in Tuscaloosa at the time, <laughs> some TV stuff. And I remember seeing Mike on TV doing, doing stuff in uh, Tuscaloosa and not knowing who Mike was at the time, but small world, how you know, you've been around long enough. You see some people you recognize. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and Mike is one of the best, uh, you know, his work, his work with uh, the Saints is awesome. He's done some really good stuff. It's yeah. really interesting. Uh, he's done some really cool little niche things like the Aaron's yes. uh, stuff on, on YouTube, which is just so good. And he just wrote the book with Drew Brees. He just wrote, wrote the, the breeze. Oh, way I'm, that sure, just I'm, came out. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure he's going to be pitching that to no end as, as well. He should. Yeah, that's absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Before we get to the Hall of Fame stuff. Give the audience a little update on the lockouts. There's still, you know, the lockout started about a month or so back. You know, there's been talk of they probably won't get serious in negotiations till we get close to spring training. Spring training typically starts, what, first week of February or so, something like that? Yeah, usually it's around Valentine's Day uh, that things get going. And as expected, Jason, uh, you know, we thought that they wouldn't do anything through the Christmas holiday and, and into the new year. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, they met uh, as we're as we're speaking here on this Wednesday. They met last week, uh, yep. not not, but it was over a, a Zoom call. Uh, but they did actually have some sort of negotiations, and the league put out their first uh, sort of proposal and some of the things that uh, went into it that they were looking to try. And they they were looking at okay, maybe we'll bump the the minimum salary up a little bit. We'll do this. We'll do that. Really, nothing of real teeth into it it was it was a first kind of just throw out there a low ball off tell, tell tell the audience give me give me from both sides from the owner the management side and the player side what are the two or three t- issues that are most important to the owners and the two or three issues most important to the players that we're really fighting about but, well i mean issue number one two three all the way down to about a million six uh is money and and the amount of revenue that the players are receiving that the owners are are reeling in from fans like you and I. I mean, you look at it in 2019, Major League Baseball was a $10 billion industry. So, and the, unfortunately for the players, because of how things have gone, the average or the, I should say, the median salary in Major League Baseball has fallen while revenues have gone through the roof. And, and the, the players don't like that. They feel like they're not getting their fair share of the revenue from the owners. They want more of that money. And the other thing that they want is they want younger players to be getting paid more because you look at it, there's, you know, the minimum salary in major league baseball this past year, I think was $570,000. And there are 63% of players in major league baseball making under a million dollars. Right. Think about that. I mean, that doesn't happen in the other leagues uh, and especially not in leagues like the NBA and the NFL. Um, where the, uh, you know, the television revenue is handled centrally 
and distributed right. uh, in split. Whereas in Major League Baseball, the television revenues, uh, the local television deals make up a majority of the revenue for teams, and they're all different. You know, the, the revenues that the Yankees and the Red Sox make is a lot higher than the revenues that the Rays and the Pittsburgh Pirates and the Oakland A's will make. And so uh, the players feel that it's an unfair uh, advantage. It's an unfair playing field, and they want more of that money. Plus, the owners have learned that they don't have to give out big money contracts to guys on the other side of 30. Right. Well, when you're, when you're coming up at 23, you've got six years until you make it, to, or six seasons, I should say, until you make it to free agency. And the owners have become adept at learning how to manipulate that to yes. keep guys as long as possible. And now all of a sudden, you're becoming a free agent for the first time at 30 years old. And the owners have said, we're not going to pay anybody that's over 30, <laughs> that's 30 years old or over the hell is going on. So the big money contracts like the Albert Pujols contract, uh, you know, those, those contracts are, are long gone. And so you, now the only guys that are making um, that are making any money are the guys like a Bryce Harper, where they may not, you know, they come up so young right. that they're now 26 or 27 getting to free agency for the first time that those are the guys that are going to make all the money. And you see, and you see a lot of these teams they're they're, they're going a little bit ahead of the game. They're, they're willing to give a longer term contract to a guy mm -hmm. like a, a Cunha, like a, a Wander Franco. Yes. That they're willing to pay him a little on the more on the front side, knowing that what they're paying them in year six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 is going to be way below market value then. Exactly. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the players, they're not willing to to call it collusion just yet right but you, you remember you remember back in the in the late 80s and the early 90s the the owners were found to have colluded to try right. and keep uh you know contract prices low and they ended up having to pay through the nose uh because that's illegal and right. so uh, i i really do think that they they haven't gotten to the point of calling it collusion but this is about as close to collusion in the, in the, in the players association mind as anything. The, the owners are worried that salaries are going to get out of control. Right. Uh, you know, they're worried that you're going to have a reserve second baseman making, you know, 17 or $18 million <laughs> a season. Like in the NBA, you look at it, you know, there are guys, that are on benches of NBA teams making $20 million a year, which is just a ridiculous number. Um, and they're, they're very concerned that something like that could be coming to major league baseball. And they want to try and get a hold of just how much, you know, they're going to be able to have to pay guys in, in the open market. And so uh, that's the big crux of what's going on between these two sides. And I know the and I know I know the players are trying to reduce the number of years to free agency to like four That's, from six to like four. They want they like want to go to they want to go from six to five. Okay. Um, but yeah, I I think it's going to be very difficult for that for that to happen because uh, I I think the owners see that as as the big uh, that would be a big precursor to to you know salaries going way way up. So they the the um. The, the compromise is going to end up being that players from year zero to year three, before you reach arbitration, 
they're going to make a little more and you might see um, the renewal rates getting a little larger. But yeah. I don't think that you're going to see free agency get shortened any further. Uh, I think that what you what you may end up seeing is that you end up getting more money for those year zero to year three players, but you will only see guys getting three years of arbitration as opposed to the super two concept, which is uh, in place right now where the top 20, I think it's 22%, but it's, it's the top fifth of year two to year three players are el- are eligible for arbitration. Right. Whereas the rest of them have to go through one more year of renewal before you get to arbitration. I think that super two concept is going to go away but I, I, th- and I think that year zero to year three may get more money, but it's not going to shorten free agency on the backside. All right. So we've just given you all the nuts and bolts of all this stuff. What do you think is going to happen? You think we'll have an agreement by spring training? Do you think it'll drag into spring training a little bit? What, what do you see happening? I mean, I have said all along the, the, the date that I have in the pool, if so to speak, is February, <laughs> is February 4th. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, the Friday it's it's uh, 10 days or so before pitchers and catchers are scheduled to report because I look at it this way. There are still a lot of guys out there that can't sign. They're in the free agent market. Guys like Carlos Correa are still out there and they're going to end up. There's going to be a, when, when the lockout or when the agreement is in place and they say, okay, teams, you can start talking to players again. There's going to be just absolute chaos for the fury 24 to 48 hours. I, I just have a feeling that, you know, uh, I, I definitely do not envy being a major league general manager at that point, because you're going to have the phone surgically attached to your ear right. uh, to try and get a hold of some of these guys, or at least some of them. Like Brian Cashman is going to be one. I don't think Eric Gander is going to have the, uh, the, the, the phone surgically attached, but I think Brian Cashman, uh, Andrew Friedman and Andrew and Brandon Gomes, yep. in Los Angeles guys, the, Cubs, the, the, the Red Cubs, Sox. Yeah. The Rangers, uh, you know, Washington, big market uh, teams with big payrolls, big market, big payrolls. Yes. The big payroll guys are are going to end up having a fury uh, for the 10 days, probably or so. uh, If if that happens on February 4th. Now, you know, the, the, the thought process is that you don't have to report on February the 14th. My guess is they can go probably all the way until the last week of February before coming to an agreement and still a get all of spring training in, in time. Cause you think about it, the first 10 days or so of spring training is pitchers and catchers throwing bullpens and doing yeah, PFP. Right. There ain't nothing going on. Right. You could get, you could scrap that entire 10 days and still be okay. Yet you, you wait until everybody comes in. You just have nothing but uh, full squad practices for say four or five days, getting guys bullpen sessions getting guys um, conditioned, uh, you know, live BP. Yeah. Yeah. Getting, getting together for, for maybe, you know, four or five days of practices because all these guys are in shape. This is not, you know, the sixties or earlier where guys were having to take second jobs in order to, to, to live. Uh, These guys are, you know, they're in shape. Pitchers have been throwing since Thanksgiving, for, for most of them. And, and I would think that at least every pitcher has been throwing bullpens since the beginning of December. Right. Uh, so I think that they're all pretty much in shape. It's just getting on, you know, the team's mound, working with your team's catchers. And, right. and I think they're going to be okay at that point. 
And that way you still get all of your grapefruit and cactus league games in. You get everybody built up safely and you're still ready to go at the end of March for the regular season. I'm with you. I'm with you. All right, let's transition to the Hall of Fame announcement yesterday. Only one, David Ortiz, gets in the Hall of Fame. The big news here last year on the ballot for Bonds and Clemens, they don't make it. Bonds gets 66%. Clemens about 65%. Just your thoughts on Ortiz getting in on his on the first ballot. You know, I'll give you the background for those of you that don't know. Back in 03, Ortiz was on the, the quote-unquote list of guys that failed a test came out by the New York Times. It was never publicized. It was never confirmed, but everybody, you know, the, the word got out that he was on the list. He gets in in year one of eligibility, steroids. Again, remember David Ortiz before 03 in Boston was not a good player with Minnesota, had been released. Red Sox pick him up. He's at, he had all the great run he had with the Red Sox, playoff success. Bonds, Clemens, again, Clemens never failed to test. Bonds never failed us, but we all have our notions about what they did or didn't do. Just your general thought of the steroid guy Ortiz gets in and then Bonds and, and Clemens don't get in. Here's my thought about that, Jason. I mean, for me, I know that there are a lot of members of the Baseball Writers Association of America who are the group that does the Hall of Fame voting. I'm not a member of the Baseball Writers Association. Uh, I never have been. So I've, I've never had the opportunity to have a Hall of Fame vote. But I have a feeling, and, and my thought is that there are way too many guys in the Baseball Writers Association that are trying to be the morality police. Uh, I look at it as that, you know, there was, a there was a stretch of time in baseball's history from 1996 to, say, 2000 and, say, 2006. Look, that 10 20 year years. Period, 20 years. Uh, yeah. Well, well, 10, years, sorry. 10 years. That, 10 years. That 10 year period. Yes. Where before before the the testing became full time, yeah, uh, yeah. I look at that that stretch of time. It was everywhere. You know, performance enhancing drugs. You can you can even go all the way back into the late eighties. Sure, you know, where Jose Canseco looked like a football player. Out yes, there, uh, playing playing, and and we all learned that Jose Canseco was taking performance enhancing drugs. He's admitted to it. Um, so you can, so even that, that 20 year period from 1986 to 2006, there was something going on in major league baseball. And I think you have to acknowledge that it happened that, but I think you can still say it, it was still kind of a level playing field because so many guys were using it. So I, I, I don't understand why people have such a averse, um, you know, reason to letting some of these guys in that didn't test positive once the testing came into effect. Guys like Rafael Palmero and Manny Ramirez who failed the tests after they started testing. Right. I'm and Alex Rodriguez is in that same boat for me. They all, they all tested positive. You know, they had issues once the testing came into, came into being. Right. You know, so Palmero, I have no problem with Palmero not getting in. I have no problem with Manny Ramirez not getting in. I have no problem with Alex Rodriguez not getting in uh, because he admitted that he did it after, sure. the, after the testing had started and got suspended for an entire year because of it. Right. Um, so I'm okay with that. But Bonds and Clemens are, are two guys that, um, you know, 
they never tested positive when the when the they were there when the testing was uh, implemented. They never tested positive. Yes, Barry Bonds. You can go by the by the size of his head yep. and his association with Victor Conti and Balco. You can go with uh, the um, the court cases against Clemens and the fact that Clemens looked completely different in his last uh, few years with the Yankees than he did as a young man with the Boston Red Sox and even with his time in Toronto. But I, I, I think that they should have both gotten in. In fact, on stpete9.com, I did the, uh, I put up what I would have had for my ballot. And I had Bonds, Clemens, Ortiz. And then I also had Jeff Kent, who I think is the best offensive second baseman of all time. Uh, and I'm not sure why he does not get, get more love. But it would have been interesting this year if both Bonds and Kent had gotten in because those two guys hate each other. Can't stand each other. <laughs> and, yes. and to have them have to be connected at the Hall of Fame for all time. <laughs> just would, could you imagine what that ceremony would have been? Would have been so the dinner, the luncheons and the dinners and all that must, stuff. Would have been must-watch television just to watch the two sneer at each other. Uh, but I had, I had those two. Uh, so I had Kent. Um, I also had Gary Sheffield, who okay. I think may end up being the best player that the writers have left out that, you know, not because of PEDs. You know, I don't know why Gary Sheffield, you know, isn't in either. And Billy Wagner, um, because I think that closers are highly underrepresented uh, in the Hall of Fame. And Billy Wagner's stuff was just filthy. And guys went up there guessing when, when he was on the mound. And so I had those six. Yeah, two points. So one, a lot of people think that Clemens and Bonds, part of the reason they maybe they didn't get in was their likability, where Ortiz is the charismatic guy, personality, big personality. Do you think that had you think that has any place in anybody's voting? Should should that have any place? Because obviously we all know Bonds was a was a jerk to the media and, and yep. despised it. And Clemens probably wasn't much better, to be honest with you. Clemens, Clemens could be grumpy. Um as well. I mean, Bonds, I think Barry Bonds, uh, you know, the history of Barry Bonds, the media is not a secret. Uh, you know, Bonds didn't like the media. The media didn't like Bonds, which is amazing. Um, I've met, I met Barry Bonds once. Um, it was when he was the hitting coach for the Marlins. And I found him to be, yeah, he was fine to me. Um, now, maybe it's because I'm friends with one of his friends, uh, Arrestus Destrada. Um, who is uh, the uh, brought one of the broadcasters for yep. the Rays, who is yep. one of Bonds' teammates in Pittsburgh. So, you know, I dropped the Arrestus name, and uh, and he was fine with me. Um, and I think that also you saw Jose Fernandez, uh, the legend, you know, the Marlins pitcher who passed away a few years ago. You know, he was all, bond, he and Bonds were thick as thieves. And I, I used to, I was joking, I'm like, Jose, that's how good Jose Fernandez is, is he made Barry Bonds look like a human being, uh, which, which you never saw. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that there are writers that have making the, like, you know, I just don't like them, so I'm not voting for him. It, it shouldn't be that, uh, but uh, I have no doubt that that's, part, that's somewhat part of it, especially with those two guys. Now, there are other guys that I'm kind of shake, I kind of shake my head and go, I don't know, there's something else there as to why these like Sammy Sosa's name comes up a lot, yeah, uh, you know, because Sammy's got over 600 home runs, and you know he had a stretch where he had hit more home runs than even Bonds. Um, but 
you know, he never got more than say 17 or 18% of the vote. And I never understood why, because this was his last year on the ballot as well. Um, People talk about Bonds and Clemens, but this was also Sammy Sosa's 10th year. And and I don't know why Sammy, there's got, there has to, and I I said this in my article on stpete9.com, there has to be something else out there as to why people are not putting Sammy Sosa on the ballot. I don't know what it is. Well, yeah, he had the, he had the cork bat incident a couple one time and yeah. And that was against the, that was against the devil rays. Yeah. uh, Right. That, that, that happened. But there, I mean, you know, people thought, and a lot of people thought he was on performance anti-drugs too. Exactly. But, but why is he at 18% and bonds at 66%? Right. That's, that's, you're right. All right. Yeah, well, one last point on Bar- Bonds and Clemens, too, that, that people don't realize. Both those guys had Hall of Fame careers before the before. speculation about their about their using. So that's the other part of the, the, the dilemma that's hard to fathom, that you're going to put Ortiz in knowing he failed the test, but yet you're not going to put Bonds and Clemens, who were probably Hall of Famers before they were even accused of anything or speculation that they don't, they don't get enough to get in. Ortiz might also be the last real DH to get right. in because of the right. way things are going now you don't have guys that are just dhs now um you know nelson cruz might get in right uh, he's probably close but nelson cruz was an outfielder for a large chunk of his career yes. before before he started to slow down um you know david ortiz was you know a 25 year old DH. So, yes uh you know he was a guy that just could not play uh, a position and so i think that you know, that's why he might end up being the last real full-time DH that gets into the Hall of Fame as well. All right, you listen to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm on with Steve Carney. Steve works for MLB. He's got his own uh, St. Pete 9 uh, platform, which he talks all things Rays and MLB all throughout the year. So definitely check Steve out on the different platforms. Two more things, and I'll get you out of here. Let's talk about the Rays and their split season plan of Montreal and Tampa splitting it up and all that stuff. MLB came out last week, says, no siree, Stu Sternberg. Your thoughts? Well, uh, I know that uh, that those that are listening can't see me right now, but <laughs> I'm like, oh. Well, you, you, know, can't I, see. I, you can watch us on the Powers on Sports podcast on YouTube channel. Oh, no, there you go. So. You can watch yeah, going, Yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, I mean, for me, it's, it's personal uh, why yeah. I think that, you know, I wanted to see the race stay here full time because sure. I live here. Full-time. Lousy. It's a lousy uh, idea. Uh, I, I didn't think it, I didn't think it worked. Um, I thought it was I thought it was going to be very difficult uh, for that to to get pulled off because, uh, you know, you and I are old enough to remember the Kansas City Omaha Kings. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, for those that may not be old enough, the Sacramento Kings in uh, the NBA, they didn't always they weren't always in Sacramento. They actually started in Rochester, New York as the Royals. They went from Rochester to Cincinnati and, be, and stayed the, they were the Cincinnati Royals. And then they moved to Kansas city and became the Kansas city Kings. And for a couple of years, they split time between Kansas city and Omaha, Nebraska, and they became the Kansas city, Omaha Kings and Reggie Theus, Reggie <laughs> Theus back in the day. Yeah, way back in the day, Reggie. I uh, Reggie Theus, um, but I, you know, it didn't work out. Uh, it, you know, having splitting the uh, splitting the season between two different homes to try and you know, you're, it means you're not building a fan base in either of them. Right. If you have two, it's like 
I look at it. It's kind of like quarterbacks. You got two quarterbacks. It means you have no quarterback. It's <laughs> like, if you have, you try and have two homes, it means you don't have one. Right. You have to have one home. Right. Um, and I thought that that was going to be a big problem. I thought that the, the players association is never going to get on in board on board at this because it just was going to cause chaos for guys saying, just oh personally, my God. two homes, yeah. you got to have two homes, two lives. Two homes. All the all the tax implications because right. now you're like, and it's not it's not like you're going from you know Florida to Georgia. Right, you're going Florida to you know someplace. Not, Tampa, it's not going, Tampa to Orlando. It's yeah, not, it's not Tampa ta- to Orlando. It, but now it's not even Tampa to New York City. You're it's it's Canada. So you're paying <laughs> you're paying federal income taxes in two different places. Right, uh, because of this, and, and so. It just was going to be an absolute logistical nightmare for the players. And so I didn't think the players were going to go for it at all. And, and so you, you, had to, you had to understand that this was going to get shot down at some point. And now the Rays are in a situation. We now are, we've got six seasons left with the use agreement at Tropicana Field. The Rays are contractually obligated to play their home games at Tropicana Field through the 2027 season. But we're at a point now where you you got to get the wedding done here, if you know what I mean. Sorry, so what, there, what's, what's the deal on the stadium? What, what do you well, think is going to happen? I, I think there is going to be a stadium. I think it is going to be in Tampa. And I think we're gonna uh, you're going to start seeing things get real serious here real fast. very, very soon. Because you think about it, you've got to have everything in place Probably by November of next year, you've got to have taxpayers voting on this. In November I agree. Of 2023. Uh, and then you figure out, okay, now we know kind of, we kind of know where it's going to be. We kind of, and now we're, now we know how it's going to get paid for. Now we can put shovels in the ground. Take two years to build. It takes two at years least, to build it. It takes at least two years to build, depending on, you know, the site and, you know, what you've got to demolish to right. get started. Right. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to build in the same place where uh, where they were talking about beforehand. There are a couple of other places that that also kind of make sense uh, around the same area. There's a uh, uh, there's a mill, uh, there's a flour mill uh, called Ardent Mills, which is like three blocks from Amelie Arena in downtown Tampa, and it's I, it's kind of this same uh, the same size of a parcel as the as the ebor city site right but it's it, it's going to be completely cleared out the problem is it's owned by the wrong owner right? <laughs> because the, they they sold it but they sold it to jeffrey vinnick the owner of the tampa bay lightning for the right. water street project here in tampa but it's if, if you uh, if you look at it it's perfect for a baseball stadium like right. it's got the right layout and everything the parking is going to be a nightmare but it was going to be a nightmare in the ebor city project as well Right. But it's close to all the all it's literally one road and you're on the Crosstown Expressway. Right. Uh, I mean, it's really close to the highways. Uh, and I, I do think that they could put it there if they need to. But you got to get the land from from the other owner. And I don't know if that's going to be possible, but I think that that could end up being a, an alternate spot to the Ebor site if they can't get the land from Ebor City. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think you got to, if you don't have something done, like you said, by the end of next year, of tw- end of 23, big problem. Now, now, you, now, now, now you're looking at going to Montreal. Somewhere else. Yeah. Now, I, mean, I don't I, think, no, no, you're not going to go to Montreal 
And I'll tell you, I'll tell you why I think I think uh, the owners don't want to to put a existing team in Montreal. They want to put an expansion team huh. in Montreal. I, I said this to, to someone uh, uh, around Major League Baseball last year I, I, when this whole thing, you know, came out and, you know, you know, the talk was that Stu Sternberg was working with Stephen Bronfman. I said to them, why would Major League Baseball want $1 billion of Stephen Bronfman's money when they can get $3 billion of Stephen Bronfman's money? Because that's what the expansion fee is going to be. Uh, I, I, was, I, was, I was looking at good it. Good point. If you uh, and you're going to bring Stephen Bronfman in, that means one owner is going to get paid. If you have Stephen Bronfman bring in an expansion team, 30, 30 owners get paid. So yep. uh, and you look at it, you, you're going to make uh, every owner because you're not going to just provide one expansion team. Two. You're going to provide two. And if they're three billion dollars each, now you're looking at uh, 200 million dollars per owner. That, that's what they'll get. Windfall. So I mean, why would why would you not? Including you know, Stu Sternberg. Including <laughs> Stu Sternberg. Absolutely. So I that's why I don't think that Montreal is going to get an existing team. They're going to get an expansion team. And, and gotcha. I and I think that you know the the thought process is is you know the A's have been doing this uh, out on the West Coast to try and get the Howard Terminal. Uh, project, which is the where their new stadium wants to be, they the um, city wants their new stadium built, going, and then you and then you have a, a the thirty second team is in Las Vegas. Where do you think? Where, where do you think? Um, what are the one or two cities? You said Las Vegas, and give me the other. Na- there's been Nashville talk, Charlotte, Nashville, Portland, Charlotte. I I, I think that if, yeah, if the if the Rays leave there, if the Rays leave Tampa and they and they decide to relocate, it's going to be somewhere on the East Coast. I don't think they want to really shake up the um the divisions too much though buffalo maybe buffalo in the northeast no i don't think buffalo only because of the weather uh and and there's no real i mean salem field um you know you you played back in the day um you know salem field is not in the it's not a good location for a major league ballpark it's not big enough yeah um nashville uh, the where the sounds play is downtown. It's by the river, and it's got room to expand. So I think Nashville is is very very likely. Uh, Charlotte, there's room. Um, so I think that you know I you know kicking the knights out uh, is going to be kind of a pain in the rear end because they're so beloved in that area. And I think that you know teams like Durham will be kind of angry that that a uh, a major league team is coming into their neck of the woods they'll get over it they'll get over it they would get over (laughs) it they would they would probably end up you know especially if the rays moved to charlotte that that was probably a big that that's a big reason why the rays would move to charlotte but charlotte and nashville are the two are are the two east coast east coast yes for the rays i think and, and really because in both of those places once you expand to 32 and you realign because that's what's going to happen uh, when they expand to 32, you're going to go from uh, you're going to go from three divisions of five each to four divisions of four each. Right, right. Uh, it's going to look it's going to look very similar to the NFL. It's going right. to be regionally based, and, and so I I think that once that happens, um, once they figure out what they're going to do with Oakland and what they're going to do with the Rays, uh, you're going to you're going to see the expansion talk ramp up very very quickly. 
All right, I know you're a big sports fan. Give me your thoughts on last weekend NFL, one of the most probably the wildest divisional weekend in the history of the league. To me, I think you had a top five all-time playoff game with Buffalo, Kansas City Sunday night. Just your thoughts on the weekend in general, and obviously you're a Tampa guy with the Bucks and just drama with Brady and Rodgers getting eliminated, and what a game in Kansas City Sunday night. Oh, my God. If you're the NFL, last weekend could not have gone any better. With how bad Super Wild Card Weekend was, and I I put that in quotes, you know, I, I thought Super Wild Card Weekend stunk. But the divisional, the, the divisional weekend was unreal. It was uh, if you're the if you're the National Football League, if you're Roger Goodell, you've got to grin the size of Manhattan right now, uh, because everything went absolutely perfectly. Four games, three of them came down to walk off field goals, and the last one came down to a touchdown where they scored 13 points in the last 13 seconds. I was like, are you, you could not have worked out any better. I, and, and yes, Buffalo, Kansas city was, it was an all timer. You know, that was, that was Oilers, uh, Oilers bills. That yep. was yep. uh music city miracle. Absolutely. That, that was, that was Minneapolis miracle worthy. I mean, that was just an incredible, incredible finish. And think about the the and it, it's going to overshadow a Bucks Rams game that saw the forty four year old likely MVP of the league coming back from down twenty seven three in the third quarter to tie the game up, and and they they should have gone to overtime as well. That the, Sunday was just I'm I'm I st- my heart still isn't stopped yep. coming down. Crazy. I'm still. My, my pulse rate is still high and we're, you know, four days out, four and days the, removed. And the great thing it, w- it was, it wasn't all mistakes. It was playmakers. I mean, that Kansas City Buffalo game, both teams just kept making plays. It wasn't like mm-hmm. there was blunders. Now the Bucks rams game, there were some turnovers, but that was part of the, 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 the yeah, I mean, the Rams minutes. turned the ball over four times and still won the game. Right. Uh, you know, and you the know, Bengal, the Bengals get sacked nine times and they win in Nashville. <laughs> I mean, just crazy. Just and just an absolutely unreal weekend of football. And it's something that I know the NFL is going to try and duplicate every single year. Never again. not going to be able. They're not going no. to be able to do it. It was just that good. 49ers win a game with not an offensive touchdown in zero degree weather in Green Bay. In, I mean, yeah, I, I, the only thing that I will say is that, you know, I had hoped that the, the Bucks and the Packers had won because sure. Uh, everybody had said last year, oh, well, the Bucs won. And I, because I, I, you know, people are like, oh, it's going to be so hard to win in Green Bay. I'm like, Bucks went in there and won the NFC Championship game last year. And then they were going, well, there were no fans. Right. I'm like, like that matters. <laughs> like that right. matters to the guys on the field. They don't give a crap. And so it's all, it's all the same. Uh, but, uh, but obviously the fans thing didn't work for Green Bay because they went out a week earlier. Now, who do you like this week? Kansas City, Cincinnati, and then San Fran, Los Angeles. I mean, I mean, the Chiefs have played their best football when they needed to. And yeah. I've, I've been saying that for weeks that, you know, this is, you know, they are right when they need to be right. And so I, I, you, I don't think that you could, I, I, I don't see how Cincinnati, even though they've been so good, can stop, can stop the Chiefs. I just, I just don't. Um, on the NFC side, NFC side is going to be real interesting because the Rams are really, really good, 
but they lost both their games to the 49ers this year. Uh, I, I, I do have the Rams going. Um, I do too. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the bucks last year with the saints. They went zero and two against the saints in the regular season and then one at the playoffs. So I think that's probably what's going to happen again this year. And, and the talk of the town is going to be, you know, is math has Matthew Stafford taken the final step to becoming an elite quarterback. Brady and Rogers, what do you think is going to happen to them? Oh man. Um, I, I, I hope Brady is back. Um, I said last night on Twitter, I said, I'm not advocating for Brady to retire, but I know that if he does in the next week and a half, that the pro football writers association (laughs) should waive the five-year waiting period and elect Brady this year, because (laughs) I looking at the pro football hall of fame uh, finalists, there are 15 of them and none of them are sexy. Like there's when, when the sexiest uh, of your finalists are Jared Allen and Rondé Barber, you know, there ain't no sexy in this, in this class. It's going to be, uh, you know, gritty, grimy guys in the, you know, and so uh, I think that if, if Brady says, I'll hang it up. If you, if you wave the five-year waiting period and let me in now, and you know, there are precedents around sports for that to happen. Uh, It's happened a lot in hockey. Uh, of all places, but like when Rain, when Wayne Gretzky retired, they waived the five-year waiting period and put him in immediately. Same thing with Gordy Howe, uh, waived the five-year waiting period and, and put him in. I, I think that if um, if the Pro Football Writers Association had any stones whatsoever, <laughs> and yes, I'm calling you out, Pro Football Writers Association. If Brady announces his retirement before your meeting on the Friday before the Super Bowl. You better waive the five-year waiting retirement, uh, waiting requirement, and let him in. All right, that's 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 a no doubter. I, I agree. With the that. other guys can wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Great work, man. Keep up the great work. Tell everybody where they can find you online. All right, I am at Steve Carney on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, as Jason mentioned, stpete9.com. That's stpete9. You can use the number. You can use. You can spell it out. Doesn't matter. Uh, that's for all things Rays. I've got the Under the Orange Roof podcast, which is right now going through a special series called Baseball Held Hostage, where we talk about the things going on with the lockout uh, and, of course, uh, everything there for, for the Rays, again, at stpete9.com. Awesome, man. Well, good luck with your new gig with MLB. Hopefully you're covering stuff here starting in late February or 1st of March. Hopefully we don't drag this out. Hopefully the owners aren't and players aren't stupid enough to – not to miss regular season games and such, but you never know with baseball owners and baseball players. Yeah. You know, you never know from your lips to God's ears, my friend. I got you. Well, thanks for the, thanks for the time, Steve. Great work. Keep it up. And that is the conclusion of the powers on sports podcast championship week edition. Hope everybody has a great week and we will see you next time on the powers on sports podcast. Thanks again for listening to the powers on sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at JPOSports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.